Thanks, everyone, for coming out this uh, Sunday evening in Spanish Fork, Utah. Thanks to those who download these talks as podcasts from iTunes. We invite your comments, correspondence, and feedback by emailing us at utahchristians at gmail.com. We also have a membership class at our website, utahchristians.org. I'd like to thank those that have become members. We couldn't do what we do without your help and support. Everything is inspired by the teachings of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who is the founder Acharya of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Today we'd like to talk about knowing what to magnify. We all have problems in our lives. Maybe some people are talking against us at work. We have a legal situation. We have a health challenge. Question is, do we unnecessarily magnify our challenges? Make them bigger than they are. Go around with a defeatist attitude. Nothing good ever happens to me. I always get the short end of the stick. Do we view our challenges as impossible, meant to sink us, to finish us? Are we telling ourselves, I'll never get out of debt, I'll never get well, I'll never meet the boy or girl of my dreams? My question to you today is, could it be that our perspective is keeping us from going everywhere that we're supposed to go? Prabhupada, our founder, when he was in India, announcing to friends and well-wishers his intention to go to America and start the Krishna Consciousness Movement. Um, these so-called friends and well-wishers tried to dissuade him, to talk him out of it. Their methodology was to magnify all the problems that they imagined he would encounter going to America at an elderly age. One refrain that often kept coming up was, they only eat meat in America. Prabhupada, you're a vegetarian. There won't be anything to eat there. America has no fruits, no vegetables. The only thing they have there is to eat is meat, and maybe if you're lucky, you'll get a few potatoes. Another argument is they don't have a high-class culture there. They don't have a Brahminical culture. They smoke, they drink, they have addictive personalities, they chase women, they display it on the TVs and the DVDs. You'll never be able to reach the young people in the Western countries and make a positive difference. In fact, in India, there's a belief that if you're a Brahmin who doesn't eat meat, doesn't take intoxicants, doesn't gamble, and doesn't have illicit sex, if you're a Brahmin and you take a boat and go across the ocean to the Western countries, you're no longer a Brahmin again. Indian society will ostracize you and you'll no longer be accepted as a Brahmin. So his dissuaders were not only trying to talk him out of going to America by saying that the Westerners were incorrigible. They'd never lend an oral reception to the message of the Bhagavad Gita, but they were also hinting that Prabhupada himself, by associating with such low-class people, would become contaminated. Now, the secret of Prabhupada's success, and if you didn't know it, there are 500 Hare Krishna temples all over the world, was that he didn't focus downward at the problems. He focused upwards on his God. He didn't get obsessed with the disqualifications of the Americans, but he magnified the qualifications of Krishna, his God. He kept things in perspective. I heard about a boy who grew up in Tennessee, and from his childhood he heard this legend about a quote-unquote black racer snake. He'd never seen one, he'd never met any other young boys that had seen one, but the adults maybe especially around Halloween time, would uh, 
talk about the black razor snake. It was very fast. It could outrun any young boy. The parent would only attack boys his age and only at night. One day, late afternoon, his mother told him to walk about a mile or so to their neighbor's house and borrow the iron. He went there, he borrowed the iron, and as he was proceeding back, it was getting dusk, and he imagined that every tuft of grass concealed a black razor snake. There was one under every rock, lurking behind every tree, just ready to pounce out and chase after him. When he'd reached about halfway home, he had a distinct feeling that he was being followed. In fact, he heard a subtle sound behind him, looked over his shoulder, and lo and behold, he was absolutely convinced that he saw this twisty, wiggly, black razor snake just ready to bite his right calf. And he took off running. His heart was pounding 300 beats a minute. Sweat was flying off of him. He was scared to death. He got into his front yard. He was out of breath. He bent down, put his hands on his knees, and looked over the opposite shoulder and saw that it was not a black razor snake after all. It was the cord and the plug of the iron that had been bumping along behind him. He thought, oh my gosh, I ran from that thing. I almost gave myself a heart attack because I lost my perspective. I let my imagination run right. I didn't discipline myself. Our message today is that if you're going to make anything bigger, don't make your problems bigger. That medical report, your critics at work, make your God bigger. Don't talk to God, it said, about how big your problems are, but talk to your problems about how big your God is. If you're familiar with the Mahabharata, Duryodhan brought three great Maharatas, three great warriors against Arjuna and the righteous Pandavas. That was Bhisma, Dronacharya, and Karna. Maharata means they're able to contend with 10,000 soldiers at a time. Dronacharya was so proud Here's Bhisma, here's Dronacharya, here's Karna. He glorified them, he counted on them, he valued them to defeat the forces of righteousness. Arjuna did not, and this is an important point, he did not ignore or he did not deny these three champions. He acknowledged their prowess, their expertise, the fact that they were lethal martial artists, but he didn't dwell on it. He knew that Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, was descended as an avatar and was driving his own chariot. So he knew these were dangerous, dangerous, dangerous opponents, but he also knew that whatever strength they had came originally from Krishna, who creates millions and millions of universes. In fact, whatever strength or talents or abilities that any of us have, they come from Krishna. He wasn't intimidated by these formidable opponents because he knew that his God was bigger than his challengers. Sometimes we think, oh, my challenge, my obstacle, it looks so big, this is it, I'm finished, it could easily overwhelm me, and we start to think that we don't have a chance. Keep your perspective. Try to snap back into your perspective and don't be intimidated. If you're keeping God first place in your life and your purposes are lined up with him, you need to know that the forces that are for you are greater than those who are against you. You're not weak, you're not defeated, you're not powerless. You're a child of that almighty Lord who created millions and millions of universes. You're equipped, you're anointed, you are well able, 
don't you dare drag around thinking that I'm never going to overcome this addiction, my house is never going to sell, I'm never going to accomplish my dreams. No, get the right perspective, get yourself full of can-do power. The greatest force of the universe, if you keep in first place, is breathing in your direction and there's no challenge too great for you. Krishna uses opposition to get us higher. Maya, the enemy whose job it is to keep us in this material world, would not be fighting you so hard if it weren't for the fact that you're close to something great. You're on a threshold. It is said that the size of the challenge indicates the size of your destiny. Krishna uses opponents like Bhisma, Dronachari, and Karna to take you to a higher level. That giant was never meant to defeat you. He was meant to promote you. Sometimes it seems like we're literally buried with problems. Not one, but two or three. They say, when it rains, it pours. Don't think of yourself as buried. It may be dark down there right now, underneath the legal problem, this problem, that problem. Think of yourself as planted. Think of yourself as a seed, which is deep within the soil, germinating, and know that sooner or later, you will burst up into the sunlight and produce a harvest, produce fruits. The more the opposition is, our attitude should be, the more that we're going to bounce back, the more that we're going to increase, and the more that we're going to come up higher and stronger. I read about how during the 19th century, the immigrants from Europe were all processed at this big, huge facility at Ellis Island in New York. And I wonder what that facility looked like to 19th century immigrants. Who knows what they went through, what persecutions, what atrocities they saw back in Europe. Who knows what loved ones they lost. Then they spent weeks, if not months, on a boat crossing the Atlantic in storms with not sufficient food stuff. They would see another portion of their fellow immigrants pass away due to disease and weakness. And then they come to this Ellis Island facility, a huge open area with bunks, toilets against the wall. So to some of them, after being on the boat and after going through what they went through in Europe, that facility must have looked pretty grand. In fact, for some of them, it might have been the grandest room they had ever seen. Now let's imagine that one of them is so overwhelmed with the greatness of the room that he decides he'll stay there forever. When he's processed and he's invited to go through on the other side into the greater continent of America, he digs his heels in, he unpacks all of his stuff, he hangs pictures on the wall, he makes shelves and cabinets. You just want to grab this guy and shake him and tell him how foolish he is. That there is something beyond this transitional processing place which is greater than he could ever imagine. Doors open, opportunities are there. Compared to what's on the other end of it, this place is actually just a dump. America has so much more to offer him. And yet, how often do we do the same thing? This earth, some of us take it as all in all. Some of us take this earth, this temporary world, this family, this friends, this country as the ultimate destination. But in fact, this is just like Ellis Island. It's not a destination, it's just a place of transit. If we try to make a permanent situation in this impermanent world, we would be of the same mindset as that immigrant who wanted to stay and settle right there in the Ellis Island dormitories. 
let's ask ourselves, could it be that it is we who are talking ourselves out of our dreams? We're saying, the opposition's too big. I don't have the right connections. My health isn't up to it. I don't have what it takes. I'll never be at that level. No, snap into a new perspective. Take the limits off of God. Quit telling God what he can't do. He has ways to increase you that have never, ever occurred to you. He's already lined up the right people, opened the right doors, sent the right breaks your way. You're not limited by your background. You're not limited by how you were raised. You're not limited by a lack of education. You're not limited by lack of financial resources. The only thing that really limits us is our mode of thinking. If you think you've reached your limits, then you have. If you think the problem is too big, then you're already defeated. Our suggestion is to change your perspective. Here's a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam, one of our scriptures. Third Canto, 25th chapter, 18th verse. Prophet says here, translates. In that position of self-realization, one sees everything in the right perspective. He becomes indifferent to material existence and the material influence acts less powerfully upon him. And Prabhupada in his purport, as the contamination of the germs of a particular disease can influence a weaker person, similarly the influence of material nature or illusory energy can act on the weaker or conditioned soul, but not on the liberated soul. You know probably that we have bacteria in us all the time, that we have cancer cells in us all the time. But if your immune system is strong, you eat right, you exercise, you think right, those cancer cells, those bacteria cannot get the best of you. But you make yourself vulnerable when your immune system goes down by keeping irregular hours, not eating properly, not being active. Our method of keeping our spiritual immune system pumped up, of keeping ourselves healthy, and so therefore, although negative thoughts come to everybody from time to time, we keep them in perspective. They may come, but we don't magnify them because we chant the names of the Lord. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. If you'll do this on a regular basis, I guarantee you that depression, defeat, ideas of being subpar or second best, they may come, but they will not stay. There was a conversation 500 years ago between Haridas Thakur and one Brahmin, caste Brahmin, somewhat hypocritical, his name was Gopal Chakravarti. He asked Haridas Thakur, Haridas Thakur is known as the Namacharya. He used to chant 300,000 times a day, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Gopal Chakravarti said, at what point in your chanting, at what stage in the chanting do you get salvation, do you get liberation? Haridas Thakur said, you get it right away. You get salvation, you get freedom from fear, you get freedom from intimidation, you get confidence, you get strength, even as a neophyte chanter. And he gave the example, like this is appropriate because we just had Halloween on Friday. You don't celebrate Halloween at noon, you don't celebrate Halloween at three o'clock in the afternoon, you celebrate Halloween after dark. That's the time we consider the ghosts and the hobgoblins and the thieves and the boogeymen come out. However, as soon as there's the first glimmering of light, might be still as early as three o'clock in the morning, 
And it's still a couple of hours before dawn, before the, you see the fullness of the sun. Just that point at which the sky begins to lighten, all your fear goes away, isn't it? We're no more concerned about who's in the closet or who's under the bed or the boogeyman or anything like that. It's not even dawn. We don't even see the sun. It's just the first glimmer, the first slight lightning in the sky. Similarly, anybody who, even just as a neophyte, at the beginning stage, the names of God are so powerful that even chanting as a neophyte, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, all fear, all intimidation goes away. Just like all thought of boogeyman goes away. We are not created to live average and to have a barely get-by mentality, to go around being intimidated and being buffaloed by our so-called problems. We were created with the seeds of greatness inside us. God's destiny for each and every one of us is to live a life of victory, a life of overcoming, and to leave our mark on our generation. Right now, you may be facing a big challenge. I'm not asking you to stick your head in the sand. I'm not asking you to go into denial, but I am asking you, don't magnify your problem, magnify your God. I heard about a boy who complained to his father that there was a bully who lived on their block who was harassing him. Father gave his son a telescope. He said, look at the bully through the telescope. He said, he still looks pretty tough. Father said, turn the telescope around turned the telescope around and he looked at the bully from that perspective and then he said, he doesn't, he doesn't look so tough. I'm not going to let him push me around anymore. Turn your telescope around. You have magnified the problem enough. Prahlad Maharaj, we read from scripture, was a five-year-old boy who was very devoted to Lord Krishna. He went around all the time chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. It so happened that his father was a huge, powerful, demoniac, atheistic king who had conquered the upper planets of this universe. His father so much resented the fact that his son was a theist that he tried to kill his own son. A powerful wizard, this powerful warrior, picked on his own five-year-old son, threw him off of a cliff, put him in a pit with cobras, tried to get a war elephant to crush him by stepping on him, threw him into boiling oil, put him in the fire. It looked pretty bad. I mean, what five-year-old boy would stand a chance against such powers of darkness? And Prahlad knew his father was mean and nasty, but he also knew a secret. He knew that whatever powers his father had came originally from Krishna. And so he was not unduly upset about it. He knew that what was facing him was big, but he also knew that his God was much, much bigger and much, much more powerful. When the Lord appeared as the half-man, half-lion incarnation to save Prahlad, a fight took place between Nishringadev and Haranikashipu, Prahlad Maharaj's father. During that fight, the scripture describes that this powerful demon, Haranikashipu, was like a moth rushing into the fire. And wasn't it interesting that just when things looked darkest, just when things looked the most hopeless, Prahlad was the closest to his destiny. The Lord can turn things around on a dime. 
Within a second, Hiranyakashipu was stretched across the lap of Nisringadev and Prahlad himself, after the demise of his father, he ascended to the throne of his father and ruled not just one planet, but many planets with Krishna consciousness, with piety, and with righteousness. Similarly, whatever it may be that you're facing or that you will face in the future, God is such that he can all turn it around in a moment. One phone call, one person comes across your path is all he needs. When you brag about God, your problems get smaller and smaller. The bigger is your God, the smaller are your problems. We're asked to Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu Shmadarnam. Hearing, chanting, Hare Krishna, and I, I say that, I chant, and then I hear, and the result is Shmadarnam. The result is I remember God. I don't forget Him coming and going in the past, in the present, and in the future, in happiness and distress, hot and cold. I remember the Lord by this technique of hearing and chanting. A few years ago, we were trying to build this temple, and one of the ways, interestingly enough, of raising money was selling llamas. In those days, uh, there was a short supply of llamas and a large demand. You could buy llamas for a little bit and sell them for five or six times more. We went to an auction in Macon, Missouri, to buy some llamas, and we had a Mazda pickup truck with a camper shell, and a 30-year-old U-Haul trailer. We bought six llamas, and we were driving back through Wyoming. It was April, Vaivavi was driving, early in the morning, and I was sleeping with my knees up on the dashboard. Quite unexpectedly, we hit a patch of black ice. The whole rig started doing a 360 on the freeway. The U-Haul trailer, the Mazda pickup, the people, the llamas, and what a mess it could have turned out to be. But by the protection and by the grace of the Lord, we weren't trampled by an 18-wheeler semi-trailer. We didn't go off into the ditch on one side or another. We didn't jackknife. When we finished spinning, we were facing in the direction that we'd gone. Of course, the engine was stalled, but all we had to do was restart the engine and continue on. That same God who protected us then is standing by us now as we're still putting him first place and still doing our level best to do his work. And he'll also protect us in the future as he's protected us in the past. When we first got the idea to build the temple here in Spanish Fork, we remained in Los Angeles to continue raising some of the funds. And we had a non-devotee staying here just out of convenience, sort of caretaking the place. He was not a chanter. I got a call in Los Angeles from him one evening, Charu, Charu, I'm going nuts here. I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. I said, well, what's wrong, Chitra? He said, well, this, I don't know if you knew this, but this area is 90% Mormon. I said, yeah, I knew that. He said, well, they're not going to like starting a Krishna temple in a Mormon. They're going to try and shut you down. There's going to be opposition. You don't know what you've gotten yourself into. I just heard a bunch of kids on Saturday night drive by and chant, Hare Krishna. I said, well, that sounds pretty bad, Chitra. Dig yourself a bunker. He said, true. I want to build a chain link fence around this whole place. I don't feel safe. And I'm thinking, what? You should chill out and chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Needless to say, he didn't last very long. But our policy was to be completely open completely transparent 
Our building a temple in Utah Valley was not a sectarian, denominational endeavor. It's a place where people of all religions and faith can come and chant the holy names of the Lord without any consideration of sectarianism. We've always been open. We've always welcomed the fact that everyone driving back and forth can see everything that we're doing. It was our hope that in seeing what we're doing and in seeing how Krishna brought us along step by step by step from a piece of property that was all run down in an eyesore to having grass planted, to having it landscaped, to having the log house built in 87 and then to start our Festival of India and our color festival and our Diwali festival and then finally to have opened this building. The community has appreciated what we're doing and they've embraced us and that was the idea. In 1999, far from trying to oppose us, the LDS Church gave us $25,000 in order to facilitate the construction of this temple. Another incident, one day a doctor from Salem appeared at our door with a check for $3,000. And I knew that he was a very strict LDS person, giving 10% of his salary, giving to so many other causes, giving his time, and as a doctor, he also went on missions to Africa and gave his medical expertise. And I said, Dr. Frampton, are you sure that after all the commitments that you're keeping with the LDS, are you sure that you can still afford to give $3,000 to the construction of a Krishna temple? And he said, not only can I afford it, but this is one of the best investments I could ever make. I want to be able to drive back and forth on this road with my grandsons in the car and tell them that I helped build that magnificent temple. Another story, there was a fireside in West Salem. Chiko Okazaki, the former president of the LDS Relief Society, she told 1,200 of her friends and neighbors, we were sitting in the front row, we were the guests of honor, she said, don't think of this as their temple. Go volunteer, lay some sod, paint a wall, and make it our temple. That God who saved us on the I-80 in Wyoming, that God who supported us and brought the community together to make this temple a reality, that God has not lost his power somewhere along the way. That's the same God who's standing by our side today, ready to take us into a great, wonderful future. He's still on the throne. Let me today speak confidence into you. Let me challenge you not to be intimidated, not to magnify the size of your enemy. Krishna did not create you to be overcome. He created you to overcome. He did not create you to be a victim. He created you for victory. He's not only going to bring you out of whatever is facing you, but he'll bring you out better than you were before. If you'll turn your telescope around, keep the right perspective. Problems, critics, bullies, they may be big, but your God is much, much bigger. If you'll stand on Krishna's promise in the Bhagavad Gita that my devotee never perishes but achieves everlasting joy, peace, and righteousness, you will overcome every obstacle, defeat every enemy, and become everything that Krishna intends you to become in this life and in the next life go back home, back to Godhead.